Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome back to The Bugle. I am Andy Zaltzman. It is the 4th of September, 2023. Our summer hiatus is now itself, ironically, on hiatus until next summer. And The Bugle is back to hold up the mirror to the world before realising it's held up the mirror the wrong way around and then banging on about how backs of mirrors are not what they used to be. Joining me to look at what September has offered us so far and any bits of August that they want to talk about fresh from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Delighted to welcome back to The Bugle, Alice Fraser and Anuvab Pal. Hello to both of you. Hello, Andy. I don't know if anyone can be considered fresh off the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. <laughs> I feel like Edinburgh Fringe Festival is uh, guaranteed to make you look a little bit worse uh, worse for wear, a little bit worn around the edges, a little bit, uh, a little bit stale, as it were. <laughs> That's what creativity is all about, finding the last drops of juice and the staleness of life. <laughs> Absolutely wrecking yourself for a month in pursuit of some vague concept of artistic integrity. And you know, uh, oddly, Alice Fraser and I ran into each other quite a lot at the Edinburgh Fringe. Um, geographically, our shows were near each other. and You were an object warning. You, I, I would walk to you, you would be out of your show, and I would be walking to my show, and I would... You know, be full of hope for the possibilities of how the show would feel at the end of the show, and then I'd see you washed up <laughs> on the shores. Alice, I'm an object warning in my own house, let alone <laughs> at the Edinburgh Fringe. I've been used for that purpose. Yeah, I, I am what happens in the future, just a destroyed version of you. Yeah. Um, however, I did find some hope, Andy, Alice, yeah. at the Fringe. Um, I took half a day off. I didn't want to be surrounded by artists and comedians because they're just always so hopeful. So I went. <laughs> Not all of them. Can I? Yeah, I mean, can I spring to my own defence here? I'd like to say I'm attempting to bring that average down. <laughs> this is true. This is true, Andy. There is there is some air of pessimism. Not enough. <laughs> some. Um, I went down near the National Museum of Scotland to a place called Greyfriars Kirkyard. I could or couldn't be pronouncing that correctly. Point is, it's a massive graveyard. And this was very popular in the early 20th century because surgeons, doctors, uh, because Edinburgh was the birthplace of surgery, were running out of dead bodies. So they would come find dead bodies, any dead bodies they could find, dig it up and take it back into surgery. And I realized for all the artists, like all of us thinking, where are our five-star reviews? Where's our moment? It could happen after we're dead. Edinburgh is that kind of city. I think, I think we're expecting too much too soon by trying to seek fame and success within the mortal span of our life. <laughs> with that, with that, that's, I mean, people you know, obsess in Edinburgh about, you know, whatever review they're getting that particular day. But it's good to see it in the grand perspective of how we will be judged by the winds of history. Um, yeah. Gravestone. Five stars, a five-star five life, well lived. And it's good that Edinburgh, you know, has both literal graveyards like um, uh, like the one you were talking about, and of course the metaphorical graveyard of broken dreams as well. Um, so it's got something for everyone. Um, we are recording on the fourth of September, twenty twenty-three, making this the three hundred and fifty-seventh anniversary of about the middle of the Great Fire of London, which raged from the second to the sixth of September, sixteen sixty-six. So it was a good five-day fire, good proper test match fire. Modern audiences wouldn't have the patience for that now. They want the whole city done and doused inside three hours. Ideally, commentated on by some complete muppet with a social media profile. But they did fires properly in those days, and uh, 
Well, as we look back now, the finger of blame has been uh, traditionally jabbed into the eye socket of a careless baker. But new research published in the Daily Telegraph has suggested that the main culprit was, in fact, the woke. Uh, so we might have to slightly reassess our view of uh, what caused the uh, the Great Fire of London uh, with uh, modern uh, research techniques. London, of course, was very different back then in 1666. The impact of the disaster was exacerbated by inept political leadership and people blamed foreigners and immigrants uh, with absolutely no evidence or grounds uh, whatsoever. Different times, different world. Uh, as always... A section of the bugle is going straight in the bin this week. Uh, well, a couple of sections in the bin. We have an autumn section. Uh, since we're into September, this is a special for our listeners in non-tropical regions of the Northern Hemisphere. So do tune out if you don't live in one of those regions. In our autumn section, we ask important questions about autumn as a season, including do leaves on deciduous trees stop being green just because they get bored? Is having four seasons now passe? Do modern weather consumers want a maximum of two or even one? And if so, what can we do about it other than allowing the world to heat up to an extent where it's just a baking hot summer of death uh, the entire year? Uh, which is the more metaphorical season? Now, it's a, a big rivalry between spring and autumn historically. And we finally have an answer. Uh, scientists uh, have declared autumn uh, winner of the most mo- metaphorical season award by 53 to 48, winter uh, 35, summer 19, uh, for those interested in the result of the third place playoff. And finally, we ask, <laughs> is autumn actually autumn or is it, as some people suggest, fall? Well, uh, the answer, uh, I mean, this question has divided the English speaking world since the dawn of time. Uh, and well, it turns out that it is autumn. Uh, because fall is a misnomer. Most things statistically don't fall during autumn. Uh, Leaves do, but most other things don't, and uh, many other things actually rise. Heating bills, numbers of layers of clothing used, and ironically, the number of people falling over as they slip on partially mulched fallen leaves. So autumn is the winner. Uh, also, how does uh, autumn rank in your uh, your favourite? Uh, obviously, you know, as a, coming out from an Australian perspective, you'd call it spring, I think, wouldn't you, Alice? I mean. I would during your autumn, yes. yes. Uh, but of course, in Australia, the seasons are a little bit more roll the dice, have some fun, <laughs> see what's on fire. Uh, you know, they, they don't exactly map in the opposite. You know, in theory, they should be upside down of what, what's happening in in the UK, but actually they tend to be a little bit more jazz seasons, uh, a little bit more exciting. Just to map out for um, people who are planning on visiting Australia at any time, this, the, our traditional seasons go uh, summer, summer, Autumn spiders, sudden floods, and everything's on fire. That's those are our five seasons. So, and and obviously, you know, from from your perspective in uh, in in India, um, that, I mean, the seasons very very different there. Yes, exactly, and that's why I was going to suggest a new category. Um, if you guys would consider it, uh, a just simple one, uh, totally fucked, <laughs> and how still there, you know. So, <laughs> I, I don't know if you noted, but this Indian monsoons, large swaths of the state of Himachal Pradesh, mountainous regions, got swept away, like entire massive sides of mountains fell off, taking with it resorts, hotels, homes, <laughs> hospitals. Um, so many, if anyone was at the Edinburgh Fringe, uh, you know, any of those people would have returned to North India to find their mountain missing. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit different Ouch. than being st- mm. stuck in Burning Man for three days. Um, so I don't know if that's a c- category that, given where the world is going, you know, it would be something that we would be looking at. You know, like, yeah, entire city washed away versus still have a home. 
Right. Well, we can only uh, write into the relevant uh, seasonal authorities. Uh, also, in the bin this week, it's the Wildlife Photographer of the Year competition is currently uh, currently on. There's various exhibitions around the place, and we give you um, the best of the uh, audio photographs uh, nominated uh, for. Uh, for the Audio Photography Awards, the best descriptions of things happening in nature. Uh, and you can choose the winner from the uh, shortlist of finalists, which include a hummingbird in flight, looking like it hates the sound of humming, a foreshortened photograph of a giraffe and a termite that makes it look like the termite is bigger than the giraffe, a goldfish in a fish tank with an unmistakable I only remember that I don't want to remember look in its eye, a dolphin that has become entangled in some underwear discarded in the sea, a poignant metaphor for humankind's destruction of the natural world, but also surprisingly sexy, uh, a bear cuddling an unwanted Barbie doll, and some coral shaped like an extended middle finger. Uh, do pick your favourite from those audio photographs and uh, tell it to whoever you're sitting next to at the time. Those sections in the bin. I'm just thinking all the art you described just reminds me of... You know, someone visiting a shrink and being shown these photographs. <laughs> what does this dolphin remind you of? A picture, a picture of a lion with an expression, putting the roar into Rorschach. <laughs> Top story this week. The G20 are meeting again. Uh, it's another G20 summit, the annual Natashop shindig for the powerhouse economies of the world. 19 countries plus the European Union. I thought we voted them off in 2016. I don't know how they come. They're still on the roster. So much for democracy. These uh, 20 G-rated organisations collectively account for 75% of the world's carbon emissions. So uh, strap in uh, the rest of the world. Uh, the uh, non-G 180-odd are just going to have to sit back and uh, take what they're given by this uh, this latest meeting. And it's taking place in India, uh, chaired by the, I think we can safely say, um, opinion-splitting Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Um, now, Anuvab, G G20 summits began, the first one was in 2008, uh, after the founding of the Bugle, notably, suggesting that the launch of the Bugle in 2007 did foster a new age of disappointingly unproductive global meetings. Uh, the last two were in Italy two years ago, 2021, Indonesia last year, now India, Three in a row for countries beginning with I. And I think that's appropriate for summits where ultimately self-interest generally ends up trumping everything else. It's the first time India have hosted it, Anuvab. And uh, Narendra Modi, who has the same attitude to social cohesion and tolerance as a crockery sceptic Greek person has to plates at weddings, is the man tasked with bringing the world together um, in his um, not always uh, universally approved style. Uh, how is India as a nation looking forward to this? Well, you know... Uh two things. I asked some people in Edinburgh what they thought of the G20 summit and the opinions range from don't give a shit to absolutely don't give a shit. <laughs> so uh, I guess these things are not important to people in the Western world because they have other worries like TikTok and things like that. But <laughs> to countries like us, it's a very, very big deal. Uh, because, you know, we don't often get to host these sorts of things without massive amounts of cock-up. Uh, you will remember the Commonwealth Games from a number of years ago. <laughs> we su successfully were able to ruin by not giving toilets to athletes. Uh, so we have a prime minister now that's very keen on showing the world that this is going to be a top-notch event. And the way he's showing it to the world is very literally, by which I mean... All across Delhi, I flew through Delhi on my way to Mumbai. All across Delhi, there are giant posters that say G20 and next to it, a massive photo of him. <laughs> so you wouldn't actually know there was anybody coming <laughs> except that 
that our Prime Minister was now called something uh, titled G20, which, uh, which, you know, we as Indians accept because, you know, our Prime Minister can do anything. He went to the moon a couple of weeks ago, which I'm sure <laughs> the, the Bugle listeners appreciated. He um, is also a cricket stadium. He is yes. many things. Um, he, you know, he is a human being, but he's also a summit. So um, some other unknown people are coming. There's a guy called Joe Biden who's coming. No one's heard of right. him. Um, Irrelevant. There's uh, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom and a bunch of other people coming. So it's a, it's a big deal for Delhi. And one of the biggest things we do in India when various world leaders come is we take the people of India and we shove them out of the streets. <laughs> so, so India looks a bit like Oslo. You know, Delhi looks a bit like Oslo. It's clean, it's beautiful, it's green. Now, it's easier to do that in countries with small populations. When you've got 1.3 billion people, I guess you can't shove everyone under the carpet. So the <laughs> Delhi authorities are having a little difficulty to push this annoying thing of people away <laughs> from the conference. But, uh, you know, they're, they're doing a successful job in that various companies are incentivized to get their employees to work from home. Uh, various people are being urged not to eat out. Uh, they're being told, order home delivery. So Prime Minister Modi has found out one great thing about India, that India is brilliant if you don't have to step out into India. <laughs> 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 it's a fantastic country if you don't have to run into any other people. And he's doing a very brilliant thing by incentivizing people not to come out of their homes so the world leaders can get to see an empty country. Uh, the <laughs> British, the, the British to be fair, the thing that they all want. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly, exactly. Nobody wants to be out. You can get Chinese food at home and watch all these world leaders. And I think the British would be happy because they'll find a Delhi that they left behind on the 15th <laughs> of August, 1947. Quite clean. You know, the population has not gone up, you know, 62 times. The Yamuna <laughs> River is not overflowing with effluence and refuse. So, you know, the, the, everyone would be surprised. Uh, in fact, once the residents come out, once the delegates have left, they'll be surprised to find the Delhi <laughs> that the <laughs> Prime Minister cleans up with. Um, in fact, I've been a big fan of having summits in India for a long time. Um, and I like World Cups and so on. Andy, you have visited. You know, they, they really transform the country because they lock all the people up and they clean up the whole country. And I feel like everybody needs a deep clean. <laughs> <laughs> Even a city needs a deep clean. I needed a deep clean after Edinburgh. <laughs> so. so summit's put forward six agenda priorities uh, for uh, this, this summit and uh, has pledged to focus on dialogue, which is great, I think, focusing on dialogue because it's... Uh, yeah, it doesn't leave a carbon hoof print dialogue. It just disappears harmlessly into the ether to echo quietly into a disappointed future. Uh, but amongst the things they will be dialoguing about include um, accelerated, inclusive and resilient growth. Now, humanity is currently 0 for 3 on those types of growth. Now, inclusive and sustainable have tra traditionally fitted in with global economic progress in the same way that murderous goat slaying and kitten blood milkshakes have fitted in with vegan children's parties. Um <laughs> Uh, also on the agenda, accelerating progress on SDGs. Um, not exactly sure what they are. I think suppressing democratic growth. Democratic. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what SDGs <laughs> stand for. I think suppressing democratic growth, possibly space discovery by gazillionaires, or sexually dimorphic giraffes, possibly. Um, or maybe it stands for illiteracy programs. Um, 
I'm not entirely sure, but SDGs will get their moment uh, in in the spotlights. Uh, technological transformation, which is fancy polite talk for the inevitable robot takeover and destruction of all humanity. And uh, digital public infrastructure, which is very important, uh, particularly from a British point of view, and obviously Britain represented by Rishi Sunak at this summit. The only uh, digital public infrastructure we've got in the UK at the moment is people flipping middle fingers at non-existent trains. So uh, that's something that we're all pleased about here. Um, they will be focusing also on women-led development. And I guess that raises the question, is it time for the patriarchy to take a five-minute break? Because we've had a very <laughs> tough few thousand years and maybe fatigue has set in, Alice. I don't know what you, you know, how you'd see that. I feel like the uh, the women-led development part of this is just an acknowledgement that it's all over. I feel like this is just an acknowledgement that the party's over. Let's get the women to clean it up before we <laughs> before we exit this earth, <laughs> and uh, you know that they're going to do a decent job. The theme apparently of the G twenty is one Earth, one family, one future, which is either a beautiful and hopeful slogan suggesting that we can overcome national, cultural and political differences, unifying our shared humanity and Star Trek our way to a more enlightened age, or one Earth, one family, one future is a deeply dystopian and probably realistic view of the likely outcome of human self-destruction, which is that we're going <laughs> towards an, one Earth in which there is only one family left <laughs> and uh, that is the one likely future. <laughs> That's, of course, how it all began, uh, if you've uh, read the um, f um, part one of the Bible. Um, uh, <laughs> another thing to look forward to is, um, well, the African Union um, could become a full member of the G20 with voting rights. Um, the decision is pending, apparently, because currently Africa has one member of the G20 uh, out of the 20 members of the uh, appropriately named G20. That is South Africa. Uh, Africa is a continent um, consists of 18% of the world's population. You don't need to be a rocket mathematician to know that that is a sweet little bit of strategic underrepresentation going on there. Um, another thing they're going to be uh, doing is uh, looking at a strategy for regulating global cryptocurrencies, which, uh, and I know we've talked about <laughs> cryptocurrencies a lot on this show, currently the um, strategy for regulating global cryptocurrencies is a four-prong strategy. Prong one, fingers crossed. Prong two, sorry, you lost me at blockchain. Um, prong three, who are these money-grubbing chances muscling in on our rival control of the global money-grubbing chances sector? And four, it's awfully complicated. Who can we blame it on uh, to make it simpler? Uh, so maybe this will be some a step forward in how our relationship with uh, money that's even more made up than the originally made up money uh, that we've uh. depended on. I mean, it's such a fascinating sector, Andy, the cryptocurrency sector, because it is really just a lot of people going, what if money, but mine? And also, <laughs> you know, there is a there is a core of really like appealing little nerds who really love the programming, who really love the possibilities, who really love this idea of cryptocurrency, of, of, of all of the all of the exciting sort of technological side of it. And then there's a significant proportion who are men who bought cryptocurrency because they heard about it on a podcast. It might as well have been boner pills. And then some <laughs> of it worked out for some of them. And now they think they're smart. <laughs> And, you know, I'm glad that to regulate it, they have picked a country where you have 600 million digital hackers. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good country to pick if you want to regulate something. You know, I think this is a... Uh, one person who might not be there, uh, however, Anivab, is the Chinese president, Xi, who apparently is uh, bunking off to play golf or something. Uh, this is being viewed as a snub to Narendra Modi. I mean, how would Modi take that? Snub, would he just name even more things 
after himself. Could he rename India as Narendra Modi? Is that the next step? I think that's what it's called now. You know, I haven't actually checked because I was away on the 15th of August, but I think that is the new name of the country. Going back to a chat we had on this podcast some years ago, Andy, if you remember, uh, one of the things that happened between the Indian and Chinese troops uh, over a border dispute a couple of years ago was hand-to-hand combat. Uh, again, not a very traditional means of battle in 2021, 22, whenever it happened. Hand-to-hand combat tends to reduce the ability for bilateral trade between the two countries. <laughs> um, and ever since then, uh, Premier Xi and Prime Minister Modi, both very powerful, very reasonably arrogant, powerful individuals, don't seem to, to want to meet each other. Uh, I suppose, or at least not without makeshift daggers or some sort of security. So um, that's why he's not coming. I, I don't think that the little issue of the border thing is resolved between the two countries. Um, you know you know how India responded to that hand-to-hand combat? We stopped buying Chinese phones and spare parts. Uh, it could explain why half a million homes in Mumbai don't have working televisions, including mine. Right. <laughs> Because uh, we we are not allowed to buy Chinese spare parts, so tons of equipment is just sitting here getting stale. <laughs> um, and that's I suppose that's one way to react to a country that's stabbing you in the face, literally. <laughs> <laughs> so he's not coming, I guess. I think they're missing a trick. Absolutely. They need to walk in the barefoot shoe prints of Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg and just go straight to a one-on-one, man-on-man cage fight uh, for ownership <laughs> of the other one's country. Well, I mean, you know, that sounds kind of ridiculous, and indeed it is, but it's probably the best possible solution to all future political disputes. But Andy, is it more ridiculous than what's happening right now? (laughs) And and one more, and Alice makes a very good point, Andy. I know the Cricket World Cup is coming on, and of course you have fans in India who'd love to see you commentate. Now, what would you rather commentate on? Some boring England match? Or a hand-to-hand combat between <laughs> Prime Minister Modi and President Ji at the Firosha Kotla Stadium in Delhi, which would well, be... <laughs> I mean, that, and also, given the air quality in Delhi, that might be an extremely puffed-out wrestle. Um, um, one um, issue that uh, they're having to deal with once again, and you, you mentioned the, the Commonwealth Games have this same problem, is uh, monkeys on the streets, uh, in particular, specifically rhesus monkeys, which I think are the ones with peanuts on the inside. Um, <laughs> but uh, And the way that they deal with these uh, rhesus monkeys is to try to scare them off by putting up pictures of bigger monkeys. <laughs> Just cut out pictures of langos, which apparently the rhesus monkeys are not fans of, uh, to... Um, to, to scare them off. I mean, this is a this is a wonderful solution, isn't it, to this this issue? I don't know if you guys have ever been to an Indian temple, but usually the head priest of every Indian temple has a large langur monkey on a leash, <laughs> <laughs> just to scare away other monkeys because those monkeys mess with devotees, and small monkeys in India are a menace. The thing they go for the most is the cell phone. And we know that, you know, you can't have, you know, uh, the head of South Africa, Mr. Cyril Ramaphosa, missing his iPhone because, <laughs> you know, a random monkey ran away with it at the Grand Hyatt. So, so <laughs> in India, hierarchy works. Small monkeys respond to bigger monkeys. Blame the caste system, whatever you want to blame. 
So the trouble is, though, the trouble is we couldn't even get the large monkeys. We couldn't even get 10,000 large monkeys to scare away small monkeys. So what we've got are cutouts of monkeys. So what we're really hoping for is that small monkeys are complete idiots. That's what we're hoping for. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is terrible, Andy, Anubab. I think this is a terrible example of body shaming. Uh, and the ways in which you know body the body positivity movement still has a long way to go. If you've got all these small monkeys being shamed out of being in public by the fact that there are bigger, more buff monkeys on the street, uh, or what appear to be bigger or more buff monkeys on the street, I think is a terrible thing. This is what happened. This is what happening with Instagram. It's giving you very unrealistic body expectations. You got to stay inside and do push-ups, and then what you're going to end up with is a lot of really insecure, really jacked small monkeys with small monkey syndrome coming out <laughs> into the streets the moment they get access to human growth hormone. Right, but but you know the people of Delhi are very happy about this because. They're the only posters left in Delhi that are not of Narendra Modi. <laughs> <laughs> so, so every other poster is India goes to the moon, Narendra Modi, G20, Narendra Modi. Oh, monkey. Thank God. You know, so, and this, this shows you this is how a vibrant democracy works. You need two things, monkey posters and prime minister posters. That's how you build a country. Um, I, I'm personally, I think, yeah, the more uh, monkeys that can see the G20 summit, the better. I think we have a duty to help our primate cousins to, to, to show them what we have become uh, as, a, as a warning, as a, as a piece of living advice to say, don't make the same mistakes we did. Be happy with your evolutionary status. And for f***'s sake, don't get any funny ideas. It never ends well. So personally, I think we should be lining up every other species of ape to, to look at what we've become and try and avoid that happening again. <laughs> In other Indian news, Anivab, as you uh, mentioned, um, uh, India has uh, blasted a rocket to the moon and uh, since then, uh, having uh, sent a rocket to the dark side of the moon, is uh, also launched a mission to the sun. Mm -hmm. uh, just um, bring a, I mean, what's the purpose of the mission to, a mission to the sun? Is it, uh, uh, I mean, is it hoping to, 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 to land um, pe people? Well, maybe, is this, you know, how to deal with rhesus monkeys in Delhi is just to blast them into the sun is this the it's like they've the never read meeting? the icarus myth yeah too many Here's people the haven't these days Here, this is the problem andy alice you know for a long time i think if you are that kid in school that's been bullied and been told by other kids you're poor you can't do this you can't do that the moment you get a bit of money you want to do everything right now that can be lovely but someone needs to tell that kid you might catch fire if you go to the sun. <laughs> There's nobody to tell our prime minister that it's a bad idea to go to the sun because you might catch fire <laughs> and your spacecraft might turn to ash. Now, what's happened is India's in that phase where its economy is growing at 8%. It wants to be a world power and it doesn't quite know how to do it. In fact, I'm really hoping that at some point the bugle outlines because the bugle is a world power and I of really course. hope it outlines eight or ten points for how a country can be a world power. We're just trying anything. So one cheapest space mission to the moon, flown directly by our prime minister to the moon, first time landed on the south side of the moon. Why? Why the f*** not? <laughs> well, that... yeah. That's what I mean by a superpower, right? Ask the question. A completely pointless lunar mission is absolutely core to global power games and has been since uh, well, since the Romans 
um, <laughs> tried to build an aqueduct to the moon uh, back in the day. Yeah, and, and tomorrow, if let's say India launches a mission to have a cricket match on Titan, one of the moons of Uranus, you might ask yourself, why, why? You can, you know, feed people, why? But then, equally importantly, why the f*** not? <laughs> This is the thing. Alice has often said, you know, tech billionaires do crazy shit. You know, uh, they get together and, and plan things and nobody asks them. So why are people <laughs> asking India? You know, tomorrow, if India wants to have a martial arts contest between wicked keepers and goats, you know, and then televise it to the world, you might ask why are you doing this? But equally valid, why hasn't there someone else thought of it? <laughs> These are the questions India is asking. Once you talk about uh, cricket being played on uh, the moon of a distant planet. Uh, there is a possibility that um, uh, on, I think it's the 19th of November, the World Cup final, in the so-called Narendra Modi Stadium in Ahmedabad, it's possible that Pakistan could win the Cricket World Cup in Narendra Modi Stadium, which might be the most beautiful <laughs> moment in the entire history of sports. But I think it would mean that India would ban all cricket that is played nearer to India than the planet Uranus. That that's true. Or or by the end of the game, all the twenty-two people will be called Narendra Modi, <laughs> <laughs> playing in the Narendra Modi stadium. And anything is possible. But I think India is asking. If you ask why not, a lot of shit opens up. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's again, that's true. True of human progress. Uh, <laughs> why not is a question that shouldn't be asked, and even more should never be answered. <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of our top story for this uh, this episode. Now, something very exciting is about to happen. We're going to break new ground in showbiz now because we are about to start a new season of The Bugle mid-show. Um, now, I'm not sure uh, that any show has ever started a new season in the middle of a show in its current season. We're in season four of The Bugle, which began in 2016. Season one lasted four years when we were with the times season two lasted about another four years um whilst it was me and john uh, uh in our sort of independent uh, years uh season three when we tried to relaunch um for one episode episode 294 before it came clear that uh, that john was a little busy with uh, i think it was running a hot dog stand in new york uh, he had other stuff on um season four then began when we relaunched back in uh, in in 2016 uh, so we're now going to have season five, which is going to be two seconds long, uh, the attempted shortest ever season in showbiz history, in which I will attempt to summarise the state of the world. And then season six will commence, meaning that this episode will encompass not two, but three seasons of The Bugle. Um, so, I mean, time to just look back quickly as we end season four. So many things to look back on, but I'll let you do that in your own time. Um, <laughs> but we need to have a, a big end to the... Uh, I don't know. How, I mean, how do you think we should end season four? I feel like we should have a two-second season and then a minute of silence for the lost season. That's. I mean, minutes of silence are tricky in in, in podcasting. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, just we'll have a we'll have a one-second silence to end uh, season four. Uh, just a, a, a second of condensed regret at everything that has gone wrong since we began in 2016, when, if you remember, Barack Obama was still clinging on to power in the White House before uh, I forget what happened after that. So here is our one second of regret to bring to the end season four of The Bugle. Season five now. <laughs> here it is, season five, for its two-second summary of the state of the world begins now. Ah, <laughs> oh, gee. 
Welcome to season six of The Bugle. Uh, to um, commemorate our launch of season six, uh, we are also launching a new way you can support uh, The Bugle and keep it flourishing for at least another six seasons, hopefully of more than two seconds each. Um, you can go to the buglepodcast.com and click on the donate button. You will see the usual options uh, with Apple and one-off contributions, but we've upgraded the offer to our premium subscribers. Signing up to our premium uh, voluntary subscription will get you two Bugle gifts per year. The first being an exclusive limited edition special episode of The Bugle on 12-inch vinyl. Um, (laughs) Now, when we launched this show in 2007, I think the rebirth of vinyl was not on many people's um, expectations of what would happen. But then many things that have happened since also weren't. Um, All monthly donors will now also get an extra show each month. Um, the initial idea, uh, assuming it works, is a show called Ask Andy, in which I will respond to your uh, emails and uh, questions. Uh, very important uh, is that if you are already a premium donor or a regular donor who does uh, uh, not want to change how they uh, donate, you don't need to do anything in the next week. You should get sent links to all the great stuff uh, that you need to know about it. So thanks, uh, all of you, uh, for your continuing generosity and keeping the bugle uh, going, keeping it free, flourishing, and independence through five glorious seasons and now into the sixth we could not and would not exist without your support another way of supporting the show is buying tickets for our live show in london which is on the when is it come 16th? on it's 16th? been so good so far it's rosh hashanah andy come on well that's why i'm just so much thinking about rosh hashanah i can't remember when the it's the 16th isn't it it's saturday the 16th it is saturday, it's saturday the 16th, 16th. 7 p.m 7 p.m at the leicester square theater uh, featuring me uh, alice and chris addison uh, tickets available on the internet i'm also going to chuck in a bonus content which is an andy zaltzman pun run on a wax cylinder which we will ceremoniously <laughs> fire into the sun <laughs> via the vector of an indian government rocket it'll be the cheapest one ever <laughs> <laughs> One final news story before we finish, uh, well, episode half of season six um, of of The Bugle. Um, an update from the writer's strike in uh, in America. Um, I've refused to write anything about this story in solidarity, but uh, Alice, as a scab, you can uh, bring us up to date with the, uh, the latest developments. <laughs> well, it's just been an absolute exercise in uh, uh, PR f***-up on the part of the uh, large studios who have just made themselves look incredibly bad uh, from every front for people whose job is selling image. Um, it's, almost, it's almost like they don't know how to do the work and everyone else is doing the work and they're riding on their back like some horrible little parasite. Um, and left to their own devices, they have no creativity or skill or ability to sell anything. But, you know, far be it from me uh, to make such a judgment. Um, apparently, at the moment, they're looking for a senior executive to lead crisis communications response efforts. A $330 plus thousand dollar job, um, which is essentially, please help us surgically extract this foot that we have somehow <laughs> managed to staple into our mouths, then hot glue gun into our mouths, then weld into our mouths. Um, <laughs> through the process of, for example, saying, we'll just wait for the uh, for the writers to start starving to death and then they'll come negotiate. <laughs> um, are you, were you tempted by it? So it's quite a healthy salary, that. Were you tempted by um, chucking in a cheeky job application there, Alice? I mean, I would rather dive off a cliff into the open mouth of Jason Statham. <laughs> 
<laughs> a film which I'm currently trying to pitch to <laughs> Disney head yeah. Bob Iger, but apparently he's not taking my calls. Right. <laughs> you know, my biggest surprise in all of this is uh, apparently they're fighting for the main fight that actors and writers have is for residuals. You know, so I guess they do shows and these studios want to pay them once and get rid of them. Um, big learning for me. I've been a screenwriter almost 22 years and I didn't know it was a paid profession. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that, that there were all these remuneration things and I've had my plays made into films and I guess none of these producers, um, I, I'll get in touch with them and, and yeah. I'll take umbrage. I just don't understand why they don't hire a f***ing AI to do their PR. Apparently those are capable of doing all of the jobs of a writer. <laughs> And one other final, final story um, uh, from uh, Karachi. Um, traffic problems uh, are, are not uncommon in major Asian cities. I think, uh, I don't know what percentage of your life, Anne, have you spent stuck in traffic, but I, mean, I think the average for uh, Indian people is around about 74%, uh, I think, judging from my, uh, my, my few trips to, uh, to India. Uh, but an unusual traffic incident in Karachi caused by a privately owned lion escaping into traffic. Um, I mean, I guess the problem with that is that I don't think that's necessarily covered by the things you learn when you're learning to drive is, you know, what, what to do in the event of a lion wandering around the streets in front of you. As, as a pedestrian, it's it's kind of awkward because you, you don't want to be disrupted from the path you've chosen to take, but at the same time, you don't want to be eaten by a lion. So what? And also from the lion's point of view, I've, I walked around Karachi. I nearly fell into a large hole. So that's, you know, an issue for the lion itself. So this was difficult for everyone. Well, you just can't this park is... where there is a double lion. And <laughs> apparently in Karachi you can. Apparently they yeah. have, they're they're all over. Now Karachi, uh, Andy Alice, notorious traffic problems. Um, but my favorite comment was from this uh, Twitter user, resident of Karachi, who uh, <laughs> said that the line roamed around as if certain that the law of the jungle applied to Karachi. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think it's safe to say that this is quite a disgruntled resident of Karachi who's not happy with the traffic. Um, and if anything, somebody, another Twitter user wrote, it helped clear up the traffic of Karachi. So, <laughs> so now we be known. Yeah, if you want, if in 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 any Asian city, if you want to clear up the traffic, you need two things: either a G twenty summit or a lion. <laughs> so, so I feel like there's a couple of things about this story that really don't add up for me. The Karachi police made a statement that the adult lion was recaptured two hours after it escaped from this private vehicle in heavy traffic on Tuesday. First of all. We have failed at any point to understand why the lion was in the car. <laughs> was it getting its pee plates? Was it Great catching question. an Uber? Is it in the new Fast and the Furious movie? Uh, secondly, again, this was presented with like a really triumphal tone that they have recaptured this lion after a mere two hours of uh, chasing the lion through traffic. I don't understand how it took you two hours to catch a lion. You've got a car. <laughs> <laughs> This is the th this is the thing. This often happens in South Asian cities. I don't know if you guys have seen loads of these videos that went around about cheetahs being caught 
right outside Mumbai, usually in schools, film studios. Every week they're catching a cheetah. Um, and it always goes into miraculous rescue of cheetah from primary school, miraculous rescue of cheetah from TV studio. Not a single one of them get into what the hell is a cheetah doing in a TV studio? <laughs> or a miraculous rescue of children from cheetah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, that brings to the end of uh, this week's Bugle issue 4,272, issue half of season six. We will be back next week. And then don't forget there is a live show on the 16th of September at the Leicester Square Theatre in London. Tickets available on the internet. Uh, thanks once again to Alison Anubab. Anything to plug before we go? Uh, yes, please come on my Patreon, patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. We do weekly writers meetings if you want to write with us. They're lots of fun. Also, I do a podcast called The Gargle, which is the sonic glossy magazine to this uh, uh, podcast's audio newspaper for visual world. It's a lot of fun. Also, go to unbound.com and type in Alice Fraser if you would like to buy the Dancy Lagarde Reader, which is a book which <laughs> I've got to finish writing by the end of this month, um, <laughs> but is in good shape. I've got the word count. It'll all, it'll, it'll happen. Um, that's un- Unbound.com and write in Alice Fraser because I guarantee if you write in Dancy Lagarde, you will misspell it. I misspelled it the first time I wrote it and I was the one who invented the name. Um, also, if you happen to be somebody who runs like a romance novel convention or a romance novel podcast, hit me up because I'd love to talk about Dancy Lagarde with you. Um, I have nothing going on in September, but in the month of October, an odd interesting thing is coming up on the TV channel Sky History. Uh, I will be in an episode with uh, comedian and fellow bugler Al Murray. Um, and the, the show is titled, it's a history show titled, Why Does Everyone Hate the British Empire? And uh, it's an episode <laughs> that's shot in Calcutta where viewers will have a chance to see me slip and fall into the Ganges River. <laughs> uh, oh, what a treat. And uh, proceed to be flooded with all the pollutants ever conceived by man. Um, so for, for that treat, uh, I think it shows up sometime in October on Sky History. Uh, the news quiz is back this week on Radio 4, uh, recording uh, later uh, later this week. That'll be on for the next couple of months or so. Uh, I'll be still talking about cricket for the next few weeks uh, as well. And shortly, uh, I will be announcing some dates for live shows next year. So do uh, there'll be some Bugle shows and some stand-up shows. But in the meantime, focus on that date on the 16th of September at Leicester Square Theatre. See you all there. Until next week, goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.